Ahura Janaka. It's Saturday, September 9th, 2023. And welcome to the News Pod. This is a new broadcast version of our weekly newsletter where I promise to deliver the goods without any of the pitch or the links. For that, you have to open your email or look on the Collium blog spot where all of the newsletters are archived or check the Substack for the written bits and all those other details. Really, really hope you look there because then you'd know we start our Krishna Tales uh, sessions on Zoom tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern and that Sunday Mahabharata is on 5, 5 p.m. as usual. And like I said, all those links are in the newsletter newsletter. This is the news pod. Hmm. Hope this finds you well. What's been on your mind? How you feeling? How you feeling? For all my love of logic, this will not be yet another Spock-inspired, screedy panegyric to the Logos, because we all know that that false god, reason, isn't going to save us. Now, logic is never our adversary, even when we wish he'd sit quietly in the corner while other important stuff gets done, like feelings and intuitiveness and even luck. You know, if people were reasonable, I'd be a lot happier. We'd all be a lot better off. But that still wouldn't make us less feeling. Best never to exile feeling from the room Make sure we give ourselves plenty of permission for expression. Even eloquence? Yeah, fluency in feeling isn't unlike lucidity in thought. It's no small task in every case. But it's not like we can't learn, and even when it's hard, we don't want to make things harder. So, I'm a sentimental sod, as if you didn't know. I just presided at a very beautiful wedding. What a joy. I almost didn't, but then it just happened, and only a little, and not so much that I had to recover or make apology, but my heart insists that I cry at weddings. Another reason, among others, I think, why I won't watch romantic comedies And as much as I try not to do it when I'm presiding, knowing instead I should be at my best to no drama Obama, I'm going to break that fourth wall anyway. So I embrace the problem at this point in trying to keep it together and at once confront the room, hoping they give me a pass. So feeling, you know, even though sentiment only really means feeling. The Latin verb here is sentire. A sentiment has some elevation. It's not just any feeling. A sentiment is usually one we think is worth having. My sentiments exactly. So you see how the word is used? So feel on, I say, weepily, if that's what suits you. I remind myself we humans cry for every reason and for any feeling, for better or for worse. Mets fans know this well, as does every Buddhist for whom the third noble truth, that's nirvana, somehow claims to alchemize the first noble truth, that's dukkha, suffering. Personally, I'm all in for a good cry, 
because the alternative is never better. But when I contrast sentiment to nostalgia, something about nostalgia just keeps rubbing me the wrong way. The word nostalgia was apparently coined by a Swiss doctor, Johannes Hofer, who in 1688 wrote a medical dissertation in which he argued that people compelled to be far from home, particularly soldiers and civil servants, sometimes suffered such heartache that they became ill and died. And so the origin of nostalgia from the Greek is virtually literal. Wait, can something be virtually literal? Anyway, nostalgia. Nostos means home, and algos means pain. And so an algia, a nostalgia, is a painful condition. It's being pained for home. Hmm. Let's keep going with this. By the 19th century, nostalgia is closer in meaning to how we use it today. Still feelings of loss and longing with a shade of homesick, but also with a trace of warm and fuzzy, you know, the good old times, how it was back then when, whatever it was, was supposedly better. I'm of at least two minds about this modern sensibility because when I look to how things were back then, I'd say we're in for some very mixed reviews. I'm not at all thrilled by the present or where we seem to be going, but going back just isn't just impossible. It isn't just impossible. It's the wrong direction. Progress can't be going that way, even if I like stuff aplenty that was then and is far less now. Every week we seem to lose another rock and roller from my childhood, which means they made it a pretty good run, given I was a kid and they seemed, I don't know, old to me then. Yet where things are going in this world does often seem hard to love. Climate catastrophe, revanchist politics, chat GPT. I'll spare you more of this list. There's no going home to the past. That may very well be the algos part, the painful bit. But whether it hurts because we want to or that it's very much for the best when we can't, nostalgia is not easy. That strikes me as kind of ironic because a lot of the nostalgia memes we're running into are all about how much better it was back then. You know, morning in America, that thing. Well, how did that work out? Now, I'm not going to solve the nostalgia dilemma here. More to my point, I want to make sure it stays a dilemma. Even if it seems trite to point out, sometimes we encode nostalgia positively, even when the past experience was sad or painful. Sometimes nostalgia just rebuffs the present, insulates and denies the truth that we'd rather not consider. Remember Bartleby the Scribner? I'd prefer not to. Or we languish when we need to get going because sitting still is never sitting still. It's just pausing. Now, there's nothing wrong with a pause unless you just shouldn't. So I may have come to bury this nostalgia Caesar, not to praise him, but we might yet try 
to disinter the good of these bones and not allow as far as we can to let its evil outlive the good. The bard surely helps us here because Shakespeare more than not can reach into the soul where dilemmas like nostalgia aren't solved, but made into poetry so that we can live with ourselves. That's one of the reasons we write poetry, I think. And Sonnet 30, that the bard addressed to the fair youth, brings our bard to tears, and in his great consolation, may have been the object of his current affections. It may be a memory of his own past. It may be every memory of love and grief, since the one is never not the other. But the bard writes to the fair youth, and he says... When to the sessions of sweet silent thought, I summon up remembrance of things past, I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought, and with old woes new wail my dear time's waste. Alas, we learn here that mourning our losses may compound them, adding new to old. But then we also learn not how to remedy these feelings but to give them some currency. So he goes on and says, Then can I drown an eye unused to flow, for precious friends hid in death's dateless night, and weep afresh love's long since cancelled woe, and moan the expanse of many a vanished sight. Now Shakespeare tells us that his tears are not a usual affair. They are unused to flow. They are uncommon to his experience. But I don't believe him. We've all spent some nights weeping afresh a vanished sight, never to be seen again. He goes on. Then can I grieve at grievances foregone and heavily from woe to woe tell o'er the sad account of four bemoaned moan which I knew pay as if not paid before. But if the while I think on thee, dear friend, all losses are restored and sorrows end. Uh, here the grace flows for what we can learn is that we can move from grief to grieving, but no longer host grievance. Love is new because grief is not old, much less forgotten. Here the language of accounts and accountability invites us not to a bitterness or vindictiveness or what can no longer be. Instead, we make the turn and address directly our dilemma as an opportunity to say, dear friend, to speak to the one we cherish who will share and remember. And if that dear friend does not feel that past, what makes him or her so dear is the embrace of friendship. For there, all losses are restored and sorrows end. What we cannot retrieve and cannot forget is looking into the present and so to the love that we can address before us in our dear friend. We can feel our pain because we have found home, not in the past, 
not in a place, but entwined in the grace of intimacy, in the shared affinity that being human is not being all alone, that we can make a pact with feeling and elevate our sentiment even when it aches. Here's another kind of song about that, I think. The danger on the racks is surely past, still I remain tied to the mast. Could it be I found my home at last, home at last? Well, where's that home? Well, Shakespeare and the Dan agree. It's in the company of a dear friend. We can't run from nostalgia. It's built into a heart that aches for a safe home, a harbor, a home at last. Tied to the mast may not seem like a way to get home, but as Odysseus understands it, you're going to hear the sirens and you'll need to hold fast when the world isn't safe and it's far too warm. <laughs> For that, we have each other, dear friend, because friendship is no mere nostalgia. It is the grace to which we return when we address the present and reach for reasons to share a future. Well, this newsletter, first pod, I guess, it's been a bit canting, maybe too much homiletic. But we started fall sessions this week with Kali poetry. We've got more coming in Krishna. So what we have is an invitation to connection. So if I've been a bit, dare I say, sententious, uh, I hope you take to heart the sentiment. We're going to need each other more than ever in these times, in what's coming sooner than later. I'm heartened to say we have each other, so I'll see you soon, dear friend. Hope you can make it to Zoom this weekend, or when you can, and we'll be there. For now, farewell. Stay captivated by your dreams, enchanted by what all that is charming. I wish you enough peace in your heart to invite a future that aches not for the past, but instead makes us think and feel and try our luck again. So talk soon. Be well.